This podcast is a Jagan Media production. Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Santa Barbara City Councilman Oscar Gutierrez, or as he's better known around the West Side, the original OG. <laughs> right now, right now, Oscar is kind of the buzz around town after appearing in the New York Times with an awesome photo and some good quotes where he talked about his COVID-19 story. I'm really looking forward to talking with Councilman Gutierrez about COVID and also his first 18 months on the city council and diving deep into his experiences, including what it's been like as a Mexican-American person of color navigating City Hall and, and the community. So we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff today. Councilman Gutierrez, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Let's get this out of the way. Um, what is the status of your, your COVID-19 battle? Um, how are you dealing with that? How's it going for you right now? Uh, right now, the only thing I feel is a slight uh, is slight congestion in my nose. Like I blew my nose this morning, but, but that was about it. Other than that, um, I went on a bike ride the other day, and I didn't really get winded, you know, and, and, and I went up some pretty steep inclines, so that was actually pretty surprising, you know. I, I thought for sure I was going to be um, huffing and puffing, but I, but I really wasn't. So um, I I'm, I'm seem like I'm doing okay, you know. It's been, it's been about 18 days since uh, I first started feeling symptoms, and my mom, She's doing fine. She she's not even feeling anything. She she has no stuffy nose, nothing. So, she she seems to be fully recovered. And like I said, I I just have a bit of a stuffy nose left over. But but that's about it. And at the worst, how bad was it for you? Oh man, um, those first three days, I started feeling symptoms. Um, it, it was truly terrifying. Um, my body was in pain 24 7 um a lot of a lot of body aches i was getting i was having these headaches that would come um really strong for about five minutes and then just kind of disappear and then like a couple hours later the headaches would come back um it, it was hard to breathe during those first three days and when i would cough it felt like i was getting stabbed in the lungs it, it was extremely painful mm. and you know i had a fever for about a day um i lost my sense of uh, taste and smell uh for about an hour i lost my sense of taste but then it came back mm. but then my sense of smell i lost for about a week and now it, then it came back after about a week mm. so yeah those first couple of days were were terrifying because i kept having to doubt whether or not I should go to the hospital or not so that was extremely stressful was the constant fear of like should I go to the hospital or should I wait to see if it gets better obviously I waited and I got better but that that stress of just like worrying whether I should go to the hospital or not that that was one of the worst parts about it um, but you know luckily it seems that we had like a mild um, case of it so we didn't have to go to the hospital but but yeah those first three days were, were pretty bad. D 
did you um, how did you get tested did you did you go to one of the testing sites or how did you find out you had it so when when my mom got contacted by one of the relatives um, that she had Thanksgiving dinner with that they they were feeling symptoms and they went and got tested and tested positive she immediately went to go get tested herself and when she went to go get tested um, my girlfriend and I who lived with my mom we decided to go get tested so what my girlfriend did is she went to um, uh, the med center but I went to Samsung urgent uh, Samsung urgent care yeah. and I just I just waited there until um, they were able to test me and I tested positive my girlfriend did not um, and yeah, that's how I found out. I found out um, the day after my mom tested positive that that I was um, positive as well. And then that's when I started feeling the symptoms. Was pretty much right after I got the test results back. And you came out, and you, you know, you shared your story at a council meeting on social media, and then all of a sudden, the New York Times is knocking on your door. What was that like for you when you heard from them? Yeah, that was surprising. I, I, um, I, I didn't expect that. To be honest, I, I, I knew obviously the the, the local news outlets would would find it uh, newsworthy, but uh, but because of the spike in cases in California due to the Thanksgiving Day weekend, mm -hmm. um, the New York Times wrote a piece about it, and they found my article from uh, I believe it was the Independent. The reporter said. And he decided to reach out to me to see if I'd be willing to be interviewed by him. And, and yeah, he, he came over and um, he sat in my yard about you know 15 feet away from me. And the photographer came and took pictures from the sidewalk. And they're all wearing masks and keeping their distance. So, um, yeah, I, I was surprised and, and uh, I was, you know, a bit grateful because, you know, they, they wanted to share my story to to hopefully try to keep people from making the same um, mistakes we did and, and avoid getting the virus over the next few holidays that we're uh, going to have. And tell me about that photo. I mean, that photo was pretty cool. How, how did they stage that? How did that work? Uh, he just he just told me, um, you know, come outside your house and we'll figure out where to take a picture. And so I stood in my yard and then he was like, you know, sit in that chair, and then I just sat there, and he just took pictures, and he he had me stand up for a couple of them, but but that was about it. He he, he was he was a pretty cool guy. He was um, a wartime photographer, and and he got assigned to uh, California, and he was telling telling uh, my girlfriend and I some pretty cool stories about what he's had to do during the pandemic. Uh, apparently, uh, the news outlets have have reached out to all their war correspondents to, to cover the story because they know what it's like to work in a high stress, life threatening situation. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that I found that really interesting that the news outlets are reaching out to war correspondents to cover this stuff. Yeah, they um, have that experience in other countries and knowing how to deal with that. And yeah, you know, it's just it's just really cool that um, you know uh, not under these circumstances, of course, but. You know, it's it's cool that uh, you know New York Times, you know, came and talked to you, you know, and, and wanted to get a little bit about your story and bring it to a much larger stage. So yeah, uh, it's pretty exciting, you know, on, on that part of it in terms of you know getting the exposure out to the media. 
Um, let's talk about uh, life as a, a city council member. You've, yeah. you've been on the city council since June of 2018, and uh, obviously you uh, were working at TBSB, and mm -hmm. you know there was this opening, and you were going to apply for the appointment, and then they decided not to do an appointment, and then they decided to do a special election, and you won that, and uh, you know you've been um, on the council and sort of navigating sort of that whole experience and the way it works. And, I've been watching you every week, so I'm just sort of wanting to talk to you a little bit about what's you know what's that been like for you on the council? Is it everything that you expected? Um, is it uh, is it a disappointment? Uh, you know, how do you characterize your first 18 months or so on the city council? Well, first I just want to you, you just reminded me. So I'm, I don't know if you remember, but I I was working for Jerry Roberts' uh, show and. I was the director and editor for the show, and when you all were covering the mayoral race, and you were discussing how Kathy Murillo's seat would be available, I I I pretty I'm pretty sure you were the first one I walked up to, and I said, "Wait, so that means anybody living on the west side can go for this?" And you were like, "Yeah," and then you said, "Do you live on the west side?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do," mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah, I mean, not to say, I mean. Not saying that you're to blame here, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that you were the first person that told me that. So I was like, "Huh," you know, planted that seed in my head. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I worked for, for TVSB uh, since 2003, and working for TVSB and also being a part of the City College newspaper. We were covering a lot of um, political related things and, and interviewing a lot of. Um, city officials and elected officials so I, I had a taste a little bit of, of what, what it was like to be in it and and then furthermore I, I also worked for the Carpinteria City Hall broadcasting all their government related meetings okay. so I, I knew what it was like being um, behind the scenes a little bit but obviously not as much as as I know now because um, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to be in closed session meetings or anything like that. So, like, I, I had no idea what, what that was like. But I knew how the meetings were and, and how um, how certain things um, run. But it was definitely a different. It's definitely a different perspective being um, one of the decision makers for sure. Um, so, so being on on the city council for for I, I think it's been two and a half years now um it it's been it's been a roller coaster ride you know there, there's ups and downs and twists and turns and i'm holding on for dear life and trying not to lose my lunch but um but it it, it, it is you know it, it it's it's a huge responsibility and 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 i and i and i can say that it's changed me for the better you know um not not to say that I was like a bad person before I ran for politics or anything. Obviously not, but but it definitely like kind of matured me really quickly. You know, uh, a lot of my friends and family have noted that um, because it's a huge responsibility, and and uh, and and I and I take it very seriously. Obviously, I, I took it. I took working for Carpinteria City Hall really serious because the the first day of of working there, they made me take an oath of office, and I was just like, whoa, this is serious. You know, if they're making me 
you know, hold up my hand and take an oath in front of the mayor and, and, a, and a few other people, like, um, it, 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 was a, it was a serious thing. And, and then obviously I had to do the oath again when I got elected. So, um, so it, it's, it's been difficult for sure, but it, it's also been pretty rewarding to, to see some, some of the positive changes that have occurred um, while I've been on the council and, and having people acknowledge that and, and um, having people just, um, just tell me that, you know, that I'm doing a good job is, is honestly just, I don't know, it, it, I, you know, I, I never really took that stuff too seriously until I was on city council when people says, when somebody says, you know, good job, especially when it's somebody I don't even know, and it's just a complete stranger. Um, it, it's really nice, you know. So let's talk about some of your accomplishments. Uh, what are some of the things you can point to and say, I'm really glad that this happened during, during my tenure? Well, I, the, the most recent thing I would say is the, is the State Street closure. I, I, um, it, it was something that I, I believe I spoke about when I was campaigning because mm -hmm. um, people were asking um, how, what my ideas about revitalizing State Street. And um, I knew that the idea of closing down parts of State Street was something that people have been talking about for years. So it was something that, that, uh, that I even talked about when I was in high school. I, I had to write a, a paper about um, having an ordinance passed, and uh, it was for government class. And I actually wrote it about shutting down State Street to cars for, uh, for fiestas specifically. <laughs> so so when, when it came to us um, months ago as a way to keep the, the businesses on State Street open during the pandemic, it was a kind of this surreal moment of like, whoa, this is, this is something I was talking about back in high school, and here I am making it happen myself, you know, obviously along with my colleagues. Um, but that, that, that was a pretty big accomplishment because it, it, really, um, it really helped those businesses get going, and, and we, we also opened up to the rest of the city to have parklets, you know, and, and, um, and that's helping out the businesses um, stay alive right now. So, so that, that's something I'm really proud of. Uh, also, you know, um, supporting and pursuing more uh, bilingual translations of all the city-related materials so that um, almost half of the population of the city speaks Spanish. So, so that's, um, that's something that people have really been... Um, thankful for and, and, and looking forward to for a long time so th those are those are two of the of the things I'm, I'm pretty proud of recently as long also um, with um, it's it's controversial of course but like also the the the, the supporting of, of, of housing for for renters yeah. that's that's something that that it, 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 they're difficult decisions, but but obviously I feel like um, we're trying to support people having housing right now, especially during this pandemic. And and it took a long time for for some of the decisions that we we made to to happen. So so that's something I'm kind of proud of as well. So I wanted to talk to you. One of the reasons that I uh, wanted to just sort of wrap with you a little bit about is sort of, you know, your experience being Mexican-American on the city council. Uh, you know, you, whether you want to be or not, you're a role model, people are going to 
see you up there, people who grew up in this community, Hispanics, Latinos, and say, wow, you know, Oscar Gutierrez is up there, and Kathy is up there, and Alejandra's up there. And, uh, you know, this is something that we're seeing as a result of district elections. We're sort of seeing new uh, faces on the city council. Uh, so you're a role model, but also um, there's more scrutiny that sometimes come with people of color or pe underrepresented people who assume positions of power. And so I've watched you for, you know, every meeting you've been at since day one, from the time you were seeking the appointment uh, to, you know, election night, you know, it took a photo of you and your mother yeah. there on election night, you know. So can you talk to me a little bit about, about that and what that experience has been like? Uh, do, you, do you feel as though you're, you're, speaking for a, a portion of the community that hasn't been spoken for and how do you deal with maybe some pushback you get from city administration yeah it's it's um it's definitely something that i'm proud of you know being somebody that was born and raised here and be, being first generation mexican-american um uh, my parents immigrated here in the in the late 60s and you know, they, they worked uh, the fields and they worked as housekeepers and gardeners and construction workers and, and yeah, it's, it's just kind of like the, the typical first generation immigrant uh, life that I, that I led, you know, uh, that, that I grew up with, you know, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it is a big responsibility, I feel like, since I am an elected um, representative and, and I'm obviously representing my, my community and the Spanish-speaking community, the first-generation immigrant community, and and it's something that that you know I I think about every day and every time I'm 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 making decisions and and uh, it, it's it's a lot of pressure, but you know I it's the community that that raised me, so I I want to make sure that I'm representing them as best I can, and and it's it's sometimes I. You know, it's it's hard to say whether sometimes I get judged by that community because I just I I know I know with with my family at least and my culture that sometimes when they see somebody come up or be successful, there's just a little bit of judgment that's applied to it, you know, mm -hmm. and and um, I try I try not let, to let it bother me, you know, because I just know that sometimes it's just the way it is. And, and I still have to do my job regardless, you know, so I try not to let it bother me too much. Um, when it comes to other people, th there have been some people in the community that have said some pretty um, discriminatory things towards me. And again, like, you know, I was, I was born and grew up like this, so I, I don't know any other way. So I've experienced that my whole life, and I just try to take it on the shoulder and, and you know, soldier on and, and just, just keep doing my job. And and not let it bother me too much because, you know, the, no matter what you do, people are going to hate on you for it for one reason or another. So uh, I, I, I just try to try to keep it going. And for the most part, I would say that the city staff is and the city administration has been pretty supportive and and have helped me, uh, you know, transition into my position for sure. Um, every now and then I, I witness kind of some things that, that made me kind of pause and, you know, step back and be like, what was that about, you know, like, but, um, 
but that's like I said, that's just the way it is. It it kind of has happened my whole life, so I just have to take it on the shoulder and, and and keep keep going. And you're talking about like subtle things, right? Like there, there's nobody who's gonna gonna say to your face anything right. about about you know whether they think you're this or that, but. It comes up in subtle ways, right? Like, you know, maybe being included in some chats or some conversations sure. or being excluded or, or uh, you know, just not feeling welcomed. I mean, have you, you know, as somebody who's covered City Hall on and off since 2000, um, I know that there's a culture there. So I'm just wondering, uh, have you had any challenges in sort of like trying to, to get through in that, in that sort of environment where it's so, you know, administration heavy? Yeah, you know, now that you bring it up, it, I, some things are popping up into my my head. But one thing that I've noticed is that in in meetings, whether it's in public or in closed session or what have you, I, I would say something, and no one would really respond to it. And I kid you not, a few minutes later, one of the other council members would say it, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, that's a great point. That's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that." And I'm sitting there like. Whoa, are you kidding me? I just I said that just a couple minutes ago, and no one even responded, you know? So, like, little subtle things like that kind of, like I said, make me pause and step back and, and, and think, like, what's going on here, you know? And um, what, One thing that I do remember that kind of made me feel uncomfortable was we had a meeting about revitalizing State Street at, I think it was at some point in 2019, early 2019, and the chamber was packed. You know, there's there was business owners from State Street. There was a, a lot of a lot of really um, prominent people were in the chamber, and it was packed. You know, there's like people standing in the uh, against the wall. They're standing in the hallway, um, and the meeting went on fine. You know, a, a few days later, there was a park and rec meeting about remodeling one of the parks to have more baseball fields and soccer fields and a huge number of soccer uh families showed up and they were they were all latino and they they packed a chamber and the response by the city staff was to call the police and the fire department to escort <laughs> them out of the chamber and and i was there i was there to witness it and and i thought that was like you know, completely to total opposite response from just a few days a few days prior to that when it was packed with State Street related people, but now here's soccer related people and they're being escorted out by the fire department and the police. It was just really bizarre, and and I was just kind of thinking like, you know, what was the, what's the difference here? You know, and, and it was explained to me that the the city council meeting about State Street, they knew ahead of time that it was going to be full, so they, they made certain accommodations to try to alleviate, but they were kind of caught off guard and surprised by the Parks and Rec meeting about the soccer field, so I, they kind of had like a knee-jerk reaction about the fire code and stuff, right. but, st but still, it, it looked and felt odd and uncomfortable, and yeah, those are just some of the things I noticed like right away after being elected where I was like, what's going on here? You know, like why, why are people responding this way? Well, I mean, you could argue too, like 
how can you be that out of touch? I mean, if you're going to be talking about soccer fields, you can expect in Santa Barbara, True. you're going to have a lot of people show up to talk True. about that. You know? Yeah, so that's a good point. It seems like they should be aware that if you're talking about changing their space or removing their space or having to share the space with another sport. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a good example of, of sort of the the implicit bias that a lot of times uh, people in decision have. You know, again, it's not it's not overt. They don't mean to be mean or discriminatory. Right. It's just sort of their their where they go when confronted with the situation. Let's talk a little bit about district elections. Uh, do you see yourself as a council member for the West Side? Do you see yourself as a council member for the city? I think that one thing that you know, comes up with district elections is people tend to really want to protect their areas and uh, maybe they defer to, on issues outside of their districts. Um, how do you balance those two issues, the, the being a district representative, but also being elected to represent the whole city? Yeah, the, the, the way I, I kind of see it is that I was elected to represent the entire city by the people on the west side, is yeah. the way that I see it, you know. Um, obviously there, there's some people who feel like, you know, they'll say, you know, we elected you, so you need to do what we say about what we're experiencing on our side of town. And, and I try to tell them like, yeah, you know, but, but you have to understand I'm only one of seven. So I, I could, I can go up there and, you know, pound my fist and say, it needs to be this way. They need this because of that. But then the six of the, the the other six are just going to stare at me and be like, yeah, we all have issues, you know, like we, we all have to be patient and calculating on how we could, how we can spread out these resources, you know? So, um, I try to explain that to them so that, you know, they kind of get how the process works. Um, but, but obviously I, I'm pretty, I'm really well, um, in tune with what's happening in my district. So, Sometimes I, I bring to city staff issues that that they're not aware of because they just they, they just don't know how how it is to live on this side of town. Mm -hmm. So and, and I find that really um, helpful because I hear that from my other colleagues too. I, I don't I, I didn't know that um, that there were certain issues that my my colleagues were, were dealing with that uh, uh, that I that I didn't know because I didn't live there. You know, but since they live there, they can tell me like, oh yeah, this is a a prevalent issue that we we've been having to deal with for years and, it, and it's pretty eye-opening and, and I find that really important because it wasn't all it wasn't always like that you know I, I there was I, I hear that there was at some point in Santa Barbara history where the majority of the council members lived just a few blocks away from each other in one part of town and I was like whoa that's kind of shocking you know like how well did they really serve the city back then if they all lived just a few blocks away from each other this podcast is sponsored by Radius Commercial Real Estate. For over 40 years, Steve Golis at Radius Commercial Real Estate has served the South Coast and Tri-County markets as the undisputed leader in multifamily investment sales, amassing more than $1 billion and 13,000 units sold over the last decade alone. With acumen for market analysis and connecting investors with the right properties, Steve is the go-to among local investors looking to capitalize in this unique real estate category. For unrivaled results in the sale or purchase of your residential income assets, contact Steve Golis at Radius Commercial Real Estate at 
www.radiusgroup.com or 805-965-5500. You know, uh, do you think that district elections um, was a good thing for the city to move into? Like, you know, we've had a little bit of time to to have some turnover with elections. I think everybody who's there now was inducted through district elections. Do you think it was the right direction for this for the city to go? Well, yeah, obviously I'm a little biased, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I would say so. You know, I, I think it's it's just a better way of getting getting some equitable representation on the council. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we 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 have three Mexican Americans who are on the the city council now, and you know, Kathy Maria, the mayor, she was the first Latina mm-hmm. ever elected. Yeah. Then you have Alejandra, you know, a, a few years later. So we're definitely seeing seeing those results. Let's take a step back. You know, you talk a lot about growing up in this community and growing up on the west side. And I think that that's one of the things that is really endearing about you and that people really like about you is that, you know, Oscar grew up here and he knows the community. And so can you talk about what it was like for you in, in your childhood? I mean, did you? Would you say you grew up poor on the west side? Would you say that you grew up uh, well, or, you know, lots of resources? What was your experience growing up in this community? Yeah, you know, I have to check my privilege mm-hmm. like every day mm-hmm. and acknowledge the fact that I, I did grow up with, with privileges even though I grew up a first-generation uh, Mexican-American because... Um, some of my friends didn't live in a house. Some of them lived in an apartment. You know, some of them lived in a, in a in a garage. You know, and those those were the those were my classmates. Those were my friends that I grew up with. And but I lived in a house. You know, my parents they worked really hard and they they were very frugal with their money. Um, you know, we didn't have TV. I I think there was even a couple months where we didn't have a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were saving their money to be able to afford a house. And obviously back then, we were talking about the late 80s, the housing market in Santa Barbara was extremely different than it is now. Um, it was w- much more affordable. I mean, think about it. It was, it was so affordable that two immigrants were able to purchase a house in Santa Barbara, and, and they only worked as you know, housekeepers and janitors and, 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 and gardeners. Like, that, that's what they did you know they didn't my parents don't have any education they had to learn how to read and write uh on the job and they were able to afford a house in Santa Barbara back then so I I was lucky to be able to have parents that were able to do that and and I look at like I said some of my friends who didn't I look at some of the people in my community now who don't and and yeah just just having a house um on the west side that was like a few blocks away from my elementary school, was a few blocks away from my junior high. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that made a huge difference, with, difference on, on how I you know, developed because I, I did have those resources nearby. You know, I was very lucky to, to have that. So, some other people in the community don't. Um, gro- growing up on the west side back in the 80s and, and early 90s, it was pretty rough because there was a pretty prevalent gang problem back then. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that um, I couldn't really go down to um, San Andreas Street because there were gang members hanging out on street corners, like, you know, just just hanging out there. And they're, you know, doing drugs and, and uh, 
breaking the law and and my parents didn't want me to go out and I remember I still very vividly remember feeling depressed because my parents didn't want me to go out they didn't want me to go down there and get accosted by these gang members there, there was a point in time where my friends and I used to go to the boys and girls club all the time but then we had to stop because they these gang members used to post up right in front of the boys and girls club and stop you if they didn't know you mm-hmm. and not let you go into the boys and girls club because they felt like they owned it and and I didn't go to the boys and girls club for years because of that and and it was it was horrible it was terrible so like I I did have privileges but it was pretty rough around here for a little bit and and um and that's why I you know I I have to bite my tongue sometimes when some people complain about how bad it is now and you know I don't see that now mm-hmm. I don't see I don't see gang members on street corners you know I don't I don't see them um bullying people or, or, or stopping people you know so I have to hold my tongue and not say that to people when they say like how bad it is now you know I, I try not to say like you know obviously you didn't grow up here in the late 80s early 90s because you wouldn't be saying that you know um whatever the decision makers in the time at that time did to to help stop that it worked you know I, I'm not really sure what what's the credit for that but I don't really see it that much anymore. I, I know it's still prevalent because I get the reports from the PD and other organizations that say that there's still youth crime and youth-related violence. So um, we're working on that as well because I definitely don't want to get to, to get to the point to where it was back then because that was truly ter- terrible. Um, but but yeah, you know, I, I am lucky that. I was born and raised in Santa Barbara as opposed to other communities like my relatives in LA or in, in Northern California. They they grew up in in not so privileged uh, communities, and it, and it shows, you know, because they didn't go to college. They they have criminal records, and you know, all my siblings and and I went to college, and we don't have criminal records, and we have careers, and. We're, we're lucky, and again, it goes to my parents sacrificing so much and, and struggling so much to make sure that we had a better life than they did. So uh, your, your parents, um, your, your, your dad passed away. How old were you when he passed away? I was 27, so it was about 10 years ago. Okay, so um, it, it sounds like, you know, even though they were... They were um, had multiple jobs and were really busy, they still spent a lot of time or they, they, they really instilled a sense of responsibility into mm-hmm. you growing up. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My, my parents were, we, we had this mentality of like, it's not you, it's us. Like, you go do something bad, it reflects negatively on all of us. You do something good, it reflects positively on all of us. Like, it's not just you, so don't be selfish, you know? So I, I, that was ingrained in me at a young age, and it's something I kind of carry on with me to this day. You know, I sort of feel like when I watch you on the council that you are really proud to be there. Um, I get that sense. You know, you always dress really nice. Uh, you have <laughs> great posture you really take it seriously, right? Like it's never casual for you when I watch you. And um, I'm just wondering if that's maybe an extension of that. Like, do you also see 
when you're up there representing the city, you're also representing your family and everything that they've done for you to help you get there? Oh, for sure. You know, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't get up, I didn't get here by myself at all. You know, I've had support from my family and my friends and my community and total strangers, you know, like that just, that just saw me and, and they, they wanted to help me and, and, I, and I'm indebted and grateful to them. So yeah, I, I want to make sure that, that I represent them well because, you know, it, it wasn't just me. It was, it was, a, you know, it was a village that raised me, you know. What has 2020 been like for you? Obviously, we're all unified in this COVID-19 battle. It's something that everybody is affected by. But we also saw uh, issues of race rise to the, the, the front, and, and they were in the spotlight after the killing of George Floyd, and then some other high-profile incidents uh, were caught on video, emerged, and, and all of a sudden, everybody was talking about about race and uh i'm wondering you know including here in santa barbara you know we had uh, marches and protests and lots of activism uh, you know as somebody who's mexican-american a person of color what was 2020 like for you and what sort of what's your take on you know whatever kind of progress we may have made in the area of race it was it was um i mean it was a mix a lot of mixed emotions you know it, it was inspiring but it was also like infuriating and it was also very sad um that we even had to get to this point you know um you know i i learned that that i had to you know kind of be more patient and kind of just relax because my response to the first meeting we had after um the Black Lives Matters Healing Justice protests in Santa Barbara was was um, not really well thought out on my part because I was triggered by a lot of these emails that I was receiving by people uh, saying that I, I wasn't doing anything for people of color in our community, that I wasn't doing anything about equity and equality. And and that that's obviously something I take very seriously as a person of color myself so so I got I got really triggered when when it was my time to speak during during um that meeting and I kind of lashed out at these people that you know some some of them have been struggling like me their whole life with this but there were some of those emails where I could just tell like you know you just woke up today and decided to send me this email that without thinking about it that triggered me Mm -hmm. um and and I, sh- I shouldn't have said what, what I said, but I basically just kind of, you know, I called some of those people ba- uh, uh, wagon, bandwagon hoppers, and I didn't appreciate that when there's so many people that our whole lives we've been struggling to, to, to be more equitable and end and, and, and racism as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I acknowledge that I should have just, you know, taken a deep breath and, and just, just let them you know, it, it was it was it was an interesting moment because I realized that like a lot of people didn't see me as a person of color up there. They saw me as a syst- a, a one link in the system of oppression. Mm-hmm. Like they saw me as as a politician. They saw me as the man. They saw me as the system. You know, 
and that that was a wake up call that I didn't I didn't see that until after I said my comment when when people you know were letting me know that that they didn't appreciate what I had to say so so that was a wake up call to me that like oh okay they don't some people don't see me as a pe- person of color they just see me as a part of the problem you know yeah. so so I I took that you know for for what it is and and I've I've acknowledged it and, and I apologize for my statements and and I've been working with those uh, social justice groups and and having more communication with them to 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 help out the the situation here in our community and um, and yeah so th- that's it, it was eye opening and educational for me for sure you know yeah. and do you think we've made uh, progress with the the um civilian review systems i guess the city is calling it uh are things headed in the right direction or you know is the city staff stalling uh what, are you, are you, how, how do you feel about where things are at right now i i feel like we're we have a good start going for us uh we have over 70 applicants that want to be on this 13 uh person uh, uh police oversight formation commission uh, or committee um, obviously we're we have a lot of research to do on those 70 applicants because we want to make sure that they represent the community as well as possible and and make sure that they hold um, law enforcement accountable when they do something that is um, abuse of power so I the city staff has been very very helpful i would say um because they've delayed it in order to have more applicants and more diversity um for the for the uh formation committee and and i feel like that that kind of shows how much the city staff is is trying to um trying to accommodate and take this uh extremely seriously yeah, that's right. Pushing back the deadline to allow more people, more people to apply. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in terms of like just going back to that issue of being a person of color, being Mexican American, uh, obviously everybody has their different experience. You know, it's I think that a lot of times people tend to want to lump um, all people of color into the same basket and sort right. of you know, but you know, obviously, you know, people like you and I don't know what it's like for a lot of other people you know and the discrimination that they face and then there's people who don't know what it's like for for you and I you know and so I'm wondering like just getting back to the fact that you know district elections and we're moving toward more Mexican-American Hispanic representation Latino representation which was the whole goal of the the original um, effort Uh, do you sort of um, you know do you do anything or what do you do to sort of reach out to um, to young people you know mentor um, people and sort of encourage them to maybe think about going into politics because I think a lot of times you know they uh, people sort of feel it's unattainable you know they mm-hmm. feel like oh that's a world that's must be super complicated I could never do that mm-hmm. and, and and here you are you're this really good example of somebody who like you were just paying attention and you had this idea you're like i believe in myself i believe i can do it and i'm gonna try it why not why not me and then and then you had a roadblock 
they were going to do an appointment, and then they're like, no, we're going to do an election. So it's like, oh, man, you're going to have to work for this now. Right, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about, like, the importance of, of mentoring young people to sort of see that they have a path um, and, and it is possible? Is that something you think about at all? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, um, I, I had a mentor in high school. She she her name is Kate Carter she she was the founder of a nonprofit in town that recorded people's life stories mm-hmm. and in my high school uh, or I think every high school in the district um, they require every student to complete a certain amount of community service hours in order to graduate and I decided to do my community service hours for her nonprofit mm-hmm. and that's what led me into a career of film and video that's what kind of you know, encouraged me to go and get uh, go to college, and I worked for the organization up until I got elected. So, if it wasn't for Kate Carter, I, I don't even like to think about where I'd be because she was the positive role model. She she encouraged me in almost everything I did, and uh, and yeah, I know how important it is to have a role model. So because of that, um, when I started going to City College and I started working for TVSB, we would get student volunteers and student interns and um, I would teach them the trade and art of film and video production and storytelling and then it it even went further than that. Sometimes they would just need somebody to talk to and I'd be there to talk to them and sometimes they needed help with certain things and I would help them. You know, I'll never forget one time one of my interns called me because he was trying out for the UCSB soccer team and somebody's cleat cut into his calf and he needed a ride to the ER and, and I left work to go pick him up and take him to the ER and I sat with him in the ER and I was just like, I never thought, you know, I'd be so important in somebody's life that they'd call me for emergencies like this, you know, and and, and I've gone to speak to, to junior highs and, and high schools and colleges about you know what it what what it was like for me to grow up in Santa Barbara and what it was like for me to become the senior producer for a TV station and then after that you know what it was like for me to become a, an elected official in Santa Barbara and and the one thing I I've kept saying to everybody is that if I could do it you could do it and mm-hmm. and I I was able to do it and I have you know a lot of roadblocks in my life you know and it was very difficult for me so like Theoretically, if you all don't have that that many struggles or roadblocks, it should be theoretically easier for you to get to, to get to where you want to be, you know. So I, I'd always say like, if I can do it, you can do it, you know. And and I try I try to tell everybody that. And, and you know, I, I meet random people and I'll tell them, you know, you can get elected too if you want. Just you just got to work at it, you know. You just got to get started now and and research it and start start getting out there, you know. And most people kind of laugh because you're right like they kind of think it's unattainable and I'm like and I again I just keep saying like if I could do it you can do it trust me you know you know you went to uh, Santa Barbara Unified Schools and uh, there's always talk about what's happening in school districts in terms of the achievement gap you know Mm -hmm. I did a story a few weeks ago about how uh, Hispanic kids were being uh, assessed and placed into um, special ed three times the higher rate than 
than non-Hispanic kids. And uh, the state had basically said, that's too high. That can't be real. Like, that can't be accurate. You're, you're placing these kids in special ed um, incorrectly. There must be something wrong with your testing. And, of course, it goes back to a variety of things, which includes uh, perhaps not understanding that children who speak different languages uh, early on process a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they're, they need to be in special ed, but you need teachers who need to understand that and how to, how to teach to that. Um, do you have any thoughts on sort of the achievement gap? And, you know, you're somebody who went to, to schools locally. Uh, you know, I went to schools locally. Do you have any thoughts on like, like wh why do we have an achievement gap and what can we do to help young Mexican-American and Latino and students of color and underrepresented kids uh, sort of do better in school, but also really be able to have a clearer path towards success once they get out of school. Yeah, you, you know, I, again, I, I'm lucky to have gone to school in Santa Barbara mm -hmm. compared to where some of my relatives went to school, because when I talk about my school experience, um, it's like night and day compared to what they had to go through. Um, I had a lot of issues with school growing up, a lot. You know, I, in high school, I almost didn't graduate high school because I was so delinquent mm. that the sheriff had to have, the, the sheriff had a meeting with me and my parents. And they basically said, if you miss one more day of school, we're not only going to, you know, prosecute you, but we're going to have to prosecute your parents, too. Oh, man. And, and that, was, that was like a wake-up call for me where I was just like, okay, again, the, you know, that whole thing of my parents saying, when you do something bad, it's not just you that's making look bad, it's making all of us look bad. And that was the moment where I was like, you know, my actions are going to land my parents in jail? Like, what? You know, like, I can't stand for that. So I, I cleaned up my act. That's... That's actually around the time I met Kate Carter, and that's how my my life just took. You know, I went from you know going one way to the opposite direction. You know, and I was able to graduate high school with honors, and and just barely though, I I, I just barely was able to do that with enough time to turn around. Mm -hmm. um, but I I never really understood why I, I was kind of struggling, like why things were so difficult for me until I was at City College when um well actually one of my high school teachers once told me she actually said to me oscar i think i think you need to get tested for some sort of disability and when she said that i got really offended you know i was like what no i'm no i'm not special ed like you know i was i was actually i felt insulted but it wasn't until i was in city college where i was struggling where again one of my teachers came up to me and she just said like listen you should probably go get tested for something because you know, I, I can read your writing and, and I could tell that there's something there's something wrong you know so I went to the to the student services at City College and I got testing and sure enough I had ADD and dyslexia and I didn't know that you know so as soon as as soon as I, I, I knew that they started teach. They started giving me all these like lessons on how to learn, mm -hmm. and as soon as I started to learn the way somebody with dyslexia and ADD should learn, my grades just there was night and day. My grades just shot up, and I started you know passing all my classes, and I was 
able to transfer to UCSB and, and I graduated from City College with honors. I graduated from UCSB with honors and and yeah, not, and to this day I still practice what I learned at City College in what I do at, si at Santa Barbara City Council, you know, and, and in everything I do. It's, I, I have to learn it that way, otherwise um, it's, it's more difficult for me. So how old were you before that t you found a teacher who, who said, hey, you should look into this? I think I was about, I was a junior in high school. I think it was like halfway through my junior year in high school when, when my counselors told me like, hey, if you don't straighten out and figure out what you're doing, you're not going to graduate. And that was when the the sheriff sat me down and was like, hey, man, we, we're going to have to prosecute you and your parents if you don't, you know, get your act together. But the, the idea that maybe you should get tested to see if you had, you know, dyslexia or ADD, were you 17? I believe so. I think yeah. I, I, I was, it was either the my early 17 or somewhere in my mid-17, yeah. Yeah, so that's amazing, right, that you could go that far in the public school system without some teacher kind of maybe flagging that in elementary school? Did you no, yeah, no, yeah. honestly, yeah, no, it, it, and like, I, I look back and I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm embarrassed and ashamed that I reacted that way to, to her when she first said that, because she wasn't trying to be mean, she wasn't trying to be spiteful, it was the opposite, she was trying to tell me like, hey, I think you have a problem, you just need to learn differently, but you need to go get checked out so that you learn what it is that you need to work on and you know I, I yeah obviously I, I wish that would have happened sooner but to go to go back to what you're saying like my parents never went to school yeah. so they had no idea what it was like for us to go to school you know you know I talked to some of my other friends who you know whose parents went to college went to school and for generations and they they would tell me like oh yeah my my parents taught me when I got home from school from when I was in kindergarten all the way till I was in high school you know mm -hmm. my parents never did that they, they couldn't they didn't know the language they didn't know how to read and write in English and they didn't know how to read and write at all they had to learn that on the job so like it wasn't like that for us like, my, my mom tells me a story about when she went to a parent teacher uh, conference and one of the teachers suggested that to my parents and my dad snapped at her and said, "Well, what am I, ta what am I, pa my taxes paying you for then? You want you want us to do your job?" And I look at my mom and I'm just like, "Are you serious? Dad said that?" And she was like, <laughs> "She was like, yeah." She said, "You know, we didn't we didn't know that that's we we just assume we drop you off at school and they take care of it." And that's and I and I fear that that's still the mentality for a lot of these people in our community, that you know they just drop their kids off at school and. And the system will take care of it, but it, but it's not. And luckily, I do know that there's a lot of groups out there. There's a lot of schools out there that the administration is aware of that mentality, and they're and they're they're trying to fight against it and trying to encourage the parents to do more when the kids come home to make sure that they get educated from not just the system but also their parents. Right. Yeah, you know, it takes everybody. It takes the school district and, you know, it takes strong family support, whatever that looks like for for people individually and, you know, just a big a big network for sure. What what is uh what's next for you? Like do you have do you set goals? I mean, do you think um, I can do this for the next few years until election time? I mean, do you, do you have a plan for sort of how you want to push policy and shape policy on the city council going forward? 
Uh, yeah, you know, there's there's certain things I want to I want to explore. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's too early to even say it out loud, but you know, like wh- one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is that we've been getting a lot of emails from community members about the fact that the the main internet provider in Santa Barbara is Cox and you know how expensive it is and how kind of spotty it can be sometimes so right now I'm looking into whether or not one there's some way we could try to encourage other internet providers to come in to provide service or two, maybe the city itself takes it over as a utility because other, other municipalities all over the country have done it. And it's something that at right now I'm kind of thinking about, I'm, I'm researching, but that would be pretty huge for the city to take on and to do. So that's something I've been, I've been thinking about uh, policy-wise about, mm-hmm. about implementing. Um, r- you know, right now I, I still have about four years left, so you got that long term, right? I you do. You got the five-year term? Did you get that? Yeah. So I got <laughs> I got about four years left of that five years, and and you know, there's obviously a lot of time to go over a lot of things and and try to see what we can accomplish. Um, so so the that and you know, obviously the the ever growing homeless issue is something that I've been thinking about a lot uh, recently and trying to see what we can do to, to change that and that's something that I don't think it's is unfortunately gonna go away anytime soon so it's something that we need to put in our forefront to hopefully combat it before it gets any worse because yeah that's that's a pretty big problem in our community and, and yeah we, we've got some some work to do there for sure all right. Well, I want to give you the last word here, Oscar. If you could maybe, you know, talk about, talk to, you know, any any anybody who's, you know, I, I, I know I keep wanting to point you to sort of your experience as a Mexican-American, but, you know, just talk to young people, talk to people of color, talk to anybody, really, who's got a dream, who's got a passion, who really wants to do something, and uh, maybe they're having a problem overcoming that hump or believing in themselves enough to take that risk because i think you you proved that hey you took a risk and you had no idea what was going to happen and you won and now you're um you know you're, you're just doing a, a a whole bunch of things with the potential to have a positive impact on the community and you've done a lot already so can you just sort of speak from the heart and talk to people about what can, what can they do if they're thinking, hey, I, I want to be a little bit like Oscar. I want to be a little bit like somebody who can follow my dream. I, I, I'll just say that one of, one of the most influential things that I've ever heard said to me was when I first started out um, working for that nonprofit organization, Life Chronicles, in high school, mm-hmm. when I decided to, to clean up my act and, and uh, do better at school. One of the people that we interviewed, it, keep, keep in mind, these are people who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness or they're just elderly and they're at you know, the last phase of their life. And we would record them, tell their life stories and any messages they had for their friends and family to remember them um, via video. And one of the things I remember one of them said to me was, don't fear failure, 
because the fear of failure is what keeps you from doing anything because you don't want to fail because failing it 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 sucks it, it hurts you know when you fail but if you don't fear it and you just try it whether you succeed or not just don't have any fear for the failure and and you you'll never know how far you'll get you know so I took that to heart and and I've lived it every day I I, I don't fear failure no matter how silly I look or how bad I look at least I know that I gave it a try mm -hmm. and and I won't have that resentment or that regret uh, with me in my my life because that's the one thing I kept hearing from these people is that they regretted not trying they regretted not doing it and that's something that was ingrained in me since then that I've carried on so like that's that's kind of the way I live my life I try not to fear failure as much as possible and and that's why I keep telling people like if I could do it you could do it for sure you know because I've had all these things in my life that that should have kept me from succeeding but you know luckily I was able to get to where I am because of some help from people and just having that no fear of failure yeah, I think that's that's really well put, right? You know, you the only failure is not trying. Exactly. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so you know, you, you definitely are inspirational role model to to everybody. You know, and a, a lot of people specifically. So, um, thanks a lot, Councilman Gutierrez. I really appreciate your time and talking about your your COVID story and talking about your time on the on the Santa Barbara City Council. And um, you know, I'll be watching you when when things pick up again. And, uh, listening for the good quotes, trying to hear the good quotes, <laughs> trying to get you in there when I can. So thank thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, no, thank you. you. I appreciate you. And, and, uh, and I really dig your podcast. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Thank you. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing and, and sort of just uh, taking a risk myself. And yeah. why not? Right. You know, you, exactly. You, you learn from everything you do. And I'm having a lot of fun. So Councilman Gutierrez, good luck. Hope you feel better with the COVID as soon as possible. Sounds like you're almost there. Yeah. And, uh, and thanks a lot for your time. Take care. Thank you. You too.